Welcome to Diversity Champions, the podcast where we talk to thought leaders in the field of equality, inclusion and diversity, individuals with protected characteristics and their representative organisations, and public sector leaders who champion diversity in their work and personal lives. Brought to you by Yoke Recruitment, reshaping recruitment in the public sector and not-for-profit space. We are thrilled to welcome disability awareness trainer Kirstine Allison from Leonard Cheshire to the Diversity Champions podcast. In conversation with Nikki Jones of Yoke Recruitment, this podcast covers Kirstine's experience as a disabled person and the work she does to remove barriers and increase disability inclusion and what employers can do to start their disability inclusion journey. So Kirstine, many thanks for joining us today to chat all things equality, diversity and inclusion. Um, I'm guessing a good place to start would be to find out a little bit about you. So do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, um, your career to date, you know, your current role within your organisation? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, so my name is Christine Allison and I'm a training and consultancy advisor at Leonard Cheshire. So I'm a disabled person. I've got a human impairment and I've got a visual impairment. I use communication support workers to help me to follow conversations and I use visual impairment software. Sometimes by hearing impairment, it can affect my speech. So sometimes I can talk too fast. Sometimes I'm not quite sure how loud or how quiet I'm talking. And sometimes getting words can be difficult for me to pronounce properly. So I'm sorry if I'm not very clear. Um, I've also got an assistance dog, a hearing dog for deaf people who comes everywhere with me. She comes to work, she comes to the shop, she comes to the restaurant, so she comes everywhere with me. Um, I've been involved in the diversity and inclusion field for over 25 years um, since I was a teenager and by specialist interest, my focus is disability inclusion. So I've volunteered over the years with various disability charities. I've undertaken research on the barriers that disabled people face to employment and I've worked in a variety of different equality and diversity roles. I've sat on advisory groups. I have supported and advised national and devolved governments, third and public sector organisations and I've twice have been named one of the most influential disabled people in the UK. So my role <laughs> Um, my role at Leonard Cheshire is to deliver disability awareness training to external organisations. So that can be to recruitment teams, it can be to managers, or it can be to the wider organisation. And we can tailor that to individual organisations' needs. We can also offer consultancy support, and that can be the likes of um, recruitment audits, where we can review policies and processes and provide recommendations as to how to make the organisation more diverse more disability inclusive. We can look at workplace adjustment processes, we can undertake research on your behalf, we can help organisations to become disability confident leaders. So there's a lot that we can do in our team. So we also do we also do talks and podcasts, we do webinars and that's the first podcast I've done so I'm quite um I'm quite pleased to be here. Oh, we're lucky to have you. So thank you. Then one of the most influential people. That's amazing. So you've obviously been really, really busy in this space, really active, and it's clearly a topic, you know, you're really passionate about. So, you know, what are you what are you most proud of in terms of, you know, some kind of good news stuff you've done or, you know, some achievements for yourself? 
Definitely. I mean, they'd, they'd like to, and they'd like to. I'm proud of both personally and professionally. Um, in terms of in terms of Lena Shisha, I can tell you a bit more about what we do to help you understand what our achievements are as an organisation. Um, so Lena Shisha, we support organisations to live, learn, and work independently, whatever their ability. We're led by people with experience and disability, and we aim to build a fairer and more inclusive society. We've got over four. Over 5,000 staff, 7,000 volunteers, and last year we supported over 70,000 disabled people around the world. So a lot of people think that Lena Shesha are a national charity, but actually we work globally. And my team at Lena Shesha, we're the training and consultancy team. So as I said, we work with organisations to develop packages based on their needs. And no two organisations are the same, so we can work with a small organisation or we can work with a large global organisation. One organisation might require bespoke disability awareness training for the whole organisation. Perhaps they need some support to become inclusive with regard to the customer service. And another, another organisation might require something a lot bigger. They might require training, they might require a recruitment audit, they might require support to become disability confident. So we cater our packages to, to them. And I, I really enjoy the work and I think it's, it's an achievement to see the organisations start to change their practices and start to change the wording and the language that they use and really tell us that they've recruited disabled people, disabled graduates. And I mean, that's a, that's a real achievement for us professionally. In terms of personally, um, I probably been on the um, Disability 100 list because that has really opened a lot of doors for me a lot of networks for me. It has helped me to connect with like-minded individuals. It also raises my profile whereby people come in contact with me and ask me how I can help them and I can then tell them about Lena Shisha. And it's also in terms of recruitment and um, when I've been going for jobs and interviews people don't actually ask me for my qualifications or my job experience. They tend to ask me a lot more about my, about my voluntary experience. So I find that that has been really beneficial for me as well. Yeah, amazing. So, so God, I'm guessing if you're working with lots of global companies, lots of small organisations, I'm guessing no two days are ever the same. <laughs> and 25 years in the industry, um, I'm guessing this isn't like an ever-changing landscape. But in the here and now, what do you see as the biggest remaining challenges to removing barriers and, you know, increasing disability inclusion? I think the, in the time that I've been involved in disability, we've seen legislative changes. So when I was younger, when I started volunteering as a teenager, um, it was the Disability Discrimination Act. Whereas now we have the Equality Act and the Equality Act goes a lot broader than the Disability Discrimination Act. So I feel that for disabled people, in many ways, our rights have improved. In other ways, there's still much to be done. There's still, there's still a, a perception of disabled people being a problem or a bad thing. And at Lena Shisha, we advocate for the social model of disability. And the social model believes that people are disabled, not by their impairments, but by the barriers they encounter in society. And these barriers can be physical barriers, they can be policies, they can be ways of working that disadvantage disabled people. 
or negative attitudes such as a perception that disabled people are broken or they need to be fixed. It can be a perception that disabled people can only do entry-level jobs and never be a manager or a chief executive. And, you know, you can get organisations who look through a disabled person and, you know, pat on the back, job done. And they don't seem to realise there's more to it than that, than just recruitment. So the negative attitude can also come across in the language that we use. So, for example, I don't like being called partially deaf because that implies that I am half a person. In fact, I need to be fixed. Um, and language is something that has, go back to the 25 years I've been involved in disability inclusion, language is something that evolves. So things that our grandparents have said are not things that we would say now. And different countries and different cultures can say things as well. And that can cause a lot of confusion. It's not appropriate to say things like someone is suffering from a condition or confined to a wheelchair, and that language is very negative. So there's still a lot to be done in terms of getting people to move away from seeing the disability as the problem, as something that needs to be fixed, to understanding that it's the barriers in society that disable us. The impairment is still there. If, for example, you have ramps, then you're removing that barrier. It's not the wheelchair that's the barrier, it's the stairs. So that's how social model really kind of works. And I think the biggest challenge really is getting people to change their way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's really, really interesting. Um, you know, some of the points you've just made there. And it's made me think now about how I, you know, the language that I use personally that we use as an organization and that certainly some of our clients use in in recruitment. Um so the, it sounds like, you know, there's been some progress and <laughs> there's certainly been some progress, like you talked about some of the legislation, um, but there's, there's a lot more to do. So talking about more about the recruitment practices. So how can organisations make their recruitment practices more disability inclusive? Um, I think one thing I, I tend to refer to quite a lot when I'm giving talks and webinars is the pandemic. The pandemic has really... It's been good and bad for disabled people. It has, in a way, it has helped us because we can work from home, we can work remotely, we can get more flexible working, and that is something that disabled people has been have been asking for for a long time. And it's a shame that it took a pandemic to, for us to get that, for us to prove that yes, actually, disabled people can work flexibly. It is possible, but it's also been difficult for businesses because there's been an impact on operations, but also on staffing, and adopting a disability inclusive approach can help with that. There's a whole pool of talent that companies are not tapping into. They don't consider disabled people. And they're being they're not being reached, they might be locked out. And it's it just makes sense really to consider disabled people when they're doing recruitment. There's also things like disabled people are being locked out by recruitment processes, policies that are not inclusive. I mean, I'm I'm hearing impaired. And if I apply for a job and they want you to, to do the interview over the phone, then that is automatically disadvantaging me. If I see an application form that has that little asterisk next to the box that says phone number, I don't apply. So we, we at Lenishish and our training and consultancy work, we recommend, for example, having three forms of contact. So phone, email, post, so that people have a choice. 
some people might not be able to send an email because they've got arthritis. So it's little things that that could, that could be including disabled talent. They might be absolutely ideal for the job. They can't get past that one application form, for example. So there's a whole pool of disabled talent that is not being reached. There might also be disabled people in the actual workplace already who are leaving or not progressing because these policies and practices that are excluding them. And a common example is sickness absence. Using myself as an example, if I if I go to an audiology appointment and I get marked as being sick, that's not fair because I'm not sick, I'm deaf. So yeah. there are policies and processes that could exclude disabled people, disadvantage them and drive them out of that workplace. And so one thing, what we do as part of the training consultancy team is we deliver training to recruitment teams on how to make the, the processes and policies more inclusive. We cover things like assessment centres and interviews and how to have conversations with disabled um, colleagues. And we can also review policies and processes to help them to become more inclusive. So it's something that we can support with. And anybody who wants to know more can always get in touch with us. Yeah, of course. So I work, um, my division that I work within at Yoke Recruitment is the public sector and not-for-profit. So we, I only work in that space. So obviously, it's high on everyone's agenda and, you know, every tender we're seeing, you know, everybody wants to know how we're supporting, you know, how we can support their own EDI agenda. But there's just so much, you know, that people there's so much more people can do and so much more people can learn so um so yeah absolutely recommend getting in touch with you guys from everything you've said so far um so you know you've obviously you've been really busy really active you i don't know how you fit it all in <laughs> kirstine what's next on your action plan um well one thing i should have mentioned earlier on was who we've worked with since our training consultancy team started and what we plan to do next so over the past couple of years since the training and consultancy team at Lena Shetter started we've worked with organizations like Expedia, Howden's, um, Go Cardless, National Grid, Community Justice Scotland, Langham Hotel and many more so we've got a couple of case studies on our website that people can look at and we've also got our contact details on the Lena Shetter website too but what we hope to do in the year coming so we're currently working on a bespoke um, e-learning course on disability awareness in the workplace and that course is called Disability Mean Business. So this learning will be suitable for employees at all levels in the organisation and it equips them with the skills, knowledge and confidence to understand disability in the workplace and work in an inclusive way with disabled colleagues and we hope to have that available by the summer. And again, any organisation who is interested in that can get in touch. They can use our e-learning package or they can get face-to-face -face official support from us instead. We've also, this year, we've been listed on the Valuable 500 directory. So the Valuable directory is the world's first um, global directory of disability specialists. So it was created by the Valuable 500. And the Valuable 500 is a global business collective of 500 CEOs and they all work together for disability inclusion. So I recommend the directory for organisations. It allows us to share our knowledge and expertise with organisations around the globe and work together to achieve disability inclusion. So these are the key things that we have been working on and we hope to take forward the e-learning and also our 
um, are written on the Bible directory. And anybody who wants to know more, as I said, they can always get in touch with us. Ah, love that. Okay. So, um, you know, something that we, you know, that we're trying to bring out and I suppose help with this podcast is that organisations maybe that are at the start of their journey. So, so, you know, any kind of tips you've got. So we always ask everyone, you know, three top <laughs> tips for um, organisations who are starting their disability, you know, inclusion journey. What would your top tips be, Kirsty? I had to, this is a question I really had to think about when you asked me to, to prepare an answer for this because around disability inclusion, as I said, there's, there's a lot that's been achieved, but there's a lot that still needs to be done and it's quite hard just to pick out three key tips. But what I've come up with is don't forget about disability. So a lot of organisations, they talk about diversity and inclusion agendas, they plan diversity events, but they forget about disability. I've been invited to so many <laughs> diversity events where there's only a focus on one particular characteristic and that could be gender or it could be race. So my first tip would be there's nine protected characteristics in the Equality Act and you can't do diversity and inclusion unless you're considering all of them. You can't do diversity without disability. So don't forget us. Um, if you look at the Bible 500, um, um, the website, and you look at the Bible 500 um, YouTube channel, there's a very interesting video that's where they, they talk to big businesses, and these businesses say 2019 is the year for mindfulness, and 2020 is the year for LGBT+, and we'll, we'll do disability at some point, and that, that sums it up, that video sums it up, so you can't do disability, so you can't do diversity without disability. Okay, and fine. my second tip, um, sorry I interrupted you there. <laughs> um, my second tip would be disability inclusion matters to the whole organisation. And as I said, I've worked in the disability field for about 25 years and I've worked as an equality and diversity advisor. And so many people would just pass any concerns, any questions, any issues straight to the diversity and inclusion team. Diversity and inclusion matters to everybody. We've all got a role to play. It shouldn't be something that is just to the side or given to one individual to deal with. It's just everybody's responsibility. So one of the things that we cover when we're delivering disability training is we talk about how it matters to everybody. So, for example, you've got the facility team who would be responsible for accessible um, premises. You've got the marketing team who might be responsible for making their posters and social media posts accessible. You've got HR who are responsible for accessible recruitment, accessible policies. You've got the senior managers, the chief executive who need to lead, lead by example. You've got the people on the ground who may be doing customer service, who are the first face that people see. It matters to everybody. So it's not enough to simply pass the matter to the, the diversity and inclusion team. And the third tip I would have would be if your organisation lacks confidence, if you're not sure, then look at how you can become more confident about disability. And a starting point could be the Government Disability Confidence Scheme. That's free to join. It's voluntary to join and I definitely recommend it. It's something that, that Lena's Shester can help people progress through. We can help you to become um, validated as a disability confidence leader. And that's a good scheme to look at, a good team scheme to join. It gives you advice and it gives you support to develop the disability confidence. 
There's also, as I said, the value of 500, which is another um, way to become disability inclusive and connect with other organisations to discuss disability inclusion and how to improve. And again, there's our team as well, Elena Shesha. We can help, as I said, with delivering training. We can also help with providing consultancy services. So have a look at the training and consultancy page on our website and get in touch if there's anybody listening who would like to get your support. Kirstine, thank you so, so much. That They're amazing top tips and it's been so, so interesting chatting to you. Um, Kirstine, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you two more questions off the cuff, yeah, <laughs> just sure. based on based on two things you've said, and they're more personal personal for you. And it's going back to the language. Um, so you mentioned, well, one of them actually is, is probably more for me. I'm animal obsessed. Um, and I know you mentioned you've got a um, a hearing dog for um, for deaf people. So what's the etiquette around? Um, because I've always tried to, you know, stay away, leave alone, let them crack on with their job. But yes. um, on the train, I spoke to somebody and she said, oh, no, he's off duty. You can play with a dog. What's the general etiquette? Should we just, you know, in terms of the um, hearing dogs for deaf people, should we just leave you alone, leave them alone? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> by default, yes, leave us alone. There are some individual owners who don't mind. And it can it can depend on the setting as well. Yeah. So... There have been numerous times where I have been in a queue to buy my lunch and I'm, I'm about to hold my my hot chocolate. Um, I love hot chocolate. Um, I'm holding my hot chocolate. I've got my purse in my hand. I've got my dog leash. Then someone starts petting my dog. My dog jumps. Moving. And, and, the, yeah. and the hot chocolate goes all over my arm and burns me. And I don't get an apology. I get, oh, but he was so cute. Or, yeah. you know, big eyes, waggy tail. And I'm like, well, you just put me in danger here because yeah. I'm, I'm all burnt, I'm all wet. Yeah. So it, it, it can depend on the setting. Um, I I prefer people not to touch. Um, yeah, I, I prefer people to ask me first and then if if it's quite a setting or something like that, then I might say okay. If it's someone I'm, I'm comfortable with, then I might say okay. So it really does depend on the situation. I do prefer people don't do it and they ask yeah. me before they do and they don't get offended if I say no. Yeah. Um, so don't pet. I've had people sticking their tongue or their fingers and thinking that's okay because they're not touching the dog. But they're still distracting it. Yeah. You should never feed the dog either um, because the dog's only supposed to be fed by the owner. It gets cheats as a reward for doing its job. So you don't feed them, don't pet them, don't call them, don't click and ask permission and don't be offended if people say no. Yeah. The other thing to be aware of is that um, there's a wide range of assistant dogs. A lot of people think Labrador, yellow coat, there's actually dogs of the different sizes and different coats. So my recommendation would be if you see a dog, if a dog comes into your shop or your restaurant or your business, before you say no dogs, look for the coat. Yeah. Before you pet a dog, look for the coat. And if you see the coat, then you ask if you can pet or whatever. I hope that helps. 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think it's because, um, yeah, I'm a real animal lover and I everyone that knows me knows if I'm walking and there's a dog passes me, I'm going to stop and play with the dog. But um, yeah, I think when I spoke to a lady on the train and she, you know, we had a long train journey together. So we had a good chat about it. And she kind of filled me in on some of the etiquettes. So I thought that might be useful for people to know that might not be yeah. aware of um, if that. One other thing that you mentioned, which I thought was really interesting, was about there being a, a kind of untapped pool of talent. So, um, how uh, you know obviously we're a recruiter and our job is to try and tap into that talent you know where are we going wrong <laughs> what um what could we be doing to access these people and to give them the confidence as you said to think actually this process and because you know we work we're a disability confident employer we um you know we're we we try and let people know you know we put um our own kind of edi policy on all of our adverts to say we're an inclusive employee we encourage you to apply um you know if you need reasonable adjustments just let us know um and obviously lots of our clients have got the guaranteed interview scheme as well yeah um so what else could we be doing to help tap into that talent for our clients and could our clients be doing First of all, it can depend on the organisation. Every organisation has different approaches. So it's hard to give specific examples without seeing what you're doing. But as a general guide, we recommend that, as you said, mention your inclusive approaches as much as possible. Don't have the disability confidence symbol hidden somewhere on your website. You know, yeah. Make sure it's mentioned in every... Um, every document that that applicant will see or receive, make sure you mention adjustments at every stages. Um, a lot of organisations, they think about adjustments for interviews. They don't think about when you're sending an email, inviting someone for an interview, is that email really small font? Is it, yeah. is it full of italics? Is it, full, is it accessible? Does it mention adjustments in that email? Can you, adjustment can be made at every stage. So people don't tend to think about that. So think about what you can do at every stage. Think about opening your approach to disability inclusion all the time, everywhere you can. Think about um, the image that you're projecting too. If someone goes to your website or looks at your advert and all they see is a white male, non-disabled person, then what kind of message is that sending out? So think about that as well. Having disability awareness for the recruitment teams, every person that the individual could come across can really help too. Having a clear adjustment policy and process in place whereby people know where to go or what to read so they can put adjustments in place for that individual. There's a lot of things that people can be done and as I said, it can depend very much on that individual organisation. Um, the disability confidence scheme is a really good starting point or developing that confidence and getting that guidance as well. And there are specialist organisations that can help with recruitment. So there are organisations like um, Evenbreak, who advertise vacancies. There's Remploy, who can help with um, job matching. And there's also Lennis So We have a Change 100 scheme where we match disabled graduates to organisations for internships. So organisations who are looking to tap into disabled talent and get a bit of help and guidance can come to Lena Shesha, not just for training consultancy, but also for that Sheen 100 programme too. <laughs> so, um, Kirsten, I think one of the um, one of the barriers to people talking 
about it and you know discussing it openly is people are sometimes afraid you know you mentioned the language people are sometimes afraid that they're gonna get it wrong um you know how do you get around that I think a lot of people avoid disability inclusion and focus their disability sorry focus their diversity and inclusion work on other practical characters instead it's because they can feel awkward around disability they worry about getting it wrong saying the wrong thing and sometimes it's just easier just to avoid it altogether actually trying it getting it wrong being told you've gotten it wrong and learning from it and it's a lot better than avoiding it altogether I always tell, when I'm delivering training, one of the things I always say is disability confident, becoming confident around disability as a journey. Nobody expects you to be an expert. I always say to people when I'm, when I'm delivering training, I don't expect you to come away from this training as a complete expert. I do expect you to be a bit more confident as a journey. I mentioned earlier on that legislation has changed during my work in this field. Um, Governments have changed, attitudes have changed, sometimes good, sometimes worse. So it is a journey. And it's always better, I think, to try to ask, get advice and learn from it than it is to avoid it altogether. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Fab, thank you. Amazing. Thanks so much, um, Kirstine. It's been a real eye-opener. It's been really, really interesting. Um, yeah, and well done, you know, all the work you've done, you know, 25 years in the industry, all the work you've done, all the volunteering stuff, well done you. Um, and I'm really looking forward to working with you as well. I'm pretty sure that the two, our two companies have connected, so I'm really looking forward to working with you. Um, and also to hear when you chat on our next HR Insights. Yes, you know, and, and trying to remember everything that I've done. <laughs> <laughs> I need to remember that. I need to remember that because, when, as you say, if you've done 25 years, it's quite hard to, to, to pull out the key yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you've been uh, you've been busy, and like I said earlier, I don't know how you've fitted it all in. So, um, thanks, Kirstine. Um, it's been really, really lovely chatting to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Diversity Champions from Yoke Recruitment. Find out more about the work the public sector and not-for-profit division does and what we do to support organisations across the UK to fulfil their recruitment needs at our website. If you'd like us to cover a particular topic or be involved as a guest, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with us via our website, yokerecruitment.com.